morning again. So glad to have you guys with us. My name is Matt Party, one of the pastors here. And just as you saw in the video, we're very excited about Operation Christmas Child and celebrating that today. Thank you, all of you that brought some boxes. Uh, those of you that are online watching, uh, we really appreciate your generosity. And even if you haven't done that yet, there's still supplies over there. You could do that this afternoon and bring those back for our 7 p.m. service. We'll be dropping all of those off uh, tomorrow. So what a great opportunity to give Christmas gifts to kids all over the world. They also tell them story about Jesus, and uh, we're really excited about partnering uh, with them. So thanks again for your generosity to do that. So we are jumping back into the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 3 today. We took a break from it last week because last week we had Baptism Sunday. Wasn't that exciting last week? Yes, we had 11 people get baptized last Sunday. And you know, I was kind of pondering last week, watching those people celebrate and all that was God was doing in their life. And it reminded me of what we just sang. We just sang a song that said, even when we don't see it, God, you're still working. And I was thinking about this year. We said this over and over again, what a trial this year has been, what a lot of difficulties that we've ran into. And I think 10, 20, 30 years, when we look back at this year, 2020, you know, we'll have some things that we pulled from it, mostly that it was just a really difficult year. But I was remembering after that baptism last Sunday, man, all the cool things that God is doing this year. I was just thinking about our churches, people uh, in our churches that have been getting engaged, people that have gotten married this year, babies that have been born in 2020, babies that have been conceived in 2020, not my family, but other people's family. And it's very exciting. I was thinking about those baptisms and the people that have given their life to Jesus in 2020, people that have gotten jobs, people that have had really cool prayers answered. It's been exciting to see, even though difficult things are happening, God continues to move people forward. I've heard people say, man, I'm drawing closer to God than I ever have before. I've had families in our church say, I'm better off in our family and in our finances than ever before. Isn't that amazing how that works? And really, that is a great uh, thought for the book of Ruth and what is happening. In the midst of trial, in the midst of difficulty, God is still doing awesome things for them. So just to recap one and two, if you haven't been here, or just to kind of give you that reminder, um, Ruth is this person from Moab, and Naomi is this person from Bethlehem who's moved there to Moab, and all of the husbands in this story have died. The father and the two sons have passed away, and there's these widows. And they are in a vulnerable spot. They don't have land for sure. They don't have the possessions that they would need or the food. And they're in this very fragile state. And Naomi says, I've got to go back home to Bethlehem to be where I need to be with my family and see if God can work something out there. And Ruth says this beautifully loyal thing to her. He says, I'm not staying here in Moab. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. And more importantly, she says, your God will be my God. So she travels back to Bethlehem and they meet this kinsman redeemer, this relative that could redeem the situation. And his name is Boaz. And so what we see in this story is God working out these things, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of difficulty, God is authoring something beautiful. 
Now, I wanted to give you a little geography and a little history. That's what you were in the mood for today, right? A little geography and a little history. So here's a map just to kind of picture where we're at here. And so over here to the right, we have Moab. That is where Ruth is from. She is a Moabite. And over here north of Judah, if you can see that, is the town of Bethlehem. So they used to live, Naomi, over here on the west side of the Dead Sea. And when this famine hit the land, they went over to Moab. They kind of in this picture, this spiritual picture, they left the place that God wanted them and went to this pagan country, okay? And these boys, the sons that went with them, married these Moabite women, which was Ruth. And when all these husbands die, they are returning back around the Dead Sea, back to the west, back over to Bethlehem. And it kind of gives us this picture that we saw in chapter 2 that they had left the will of God. They had left the protection of God. And when they come back and they meet Boaz, Boaz says, not only is it great that you're here with me, but he says to Ruth, what a blessing that you are now back under the covering of God. You are in a good place. So Naomi and Ruth, in the midst of their trial, even in the midst of some bitterness, because Naomi is just so struggling, she's like, don't even call me Naomi anymore. She changes her name, says, call me bitter. My life is not going well, but yet they're going to lean into this. So I wanted to show you a little geography. I also want to show you a little bit of history that brings more credibility to the Bible. And this happens all the time through archaeology. But what you're going to see behind me here is called the Misha steel. It's also called the Moabite stone. This was a really amazing discovery in 1868 through archaeology. They find this stone, the Moabite stone. It's called the Misha steel because the person that made it was the king Misha, who was a Moabite king, and he was celebrating with this stone and this inscription, celebrating when they had defeated Israel in one of their battles. And this is all explained in the Bible. There's things on this stone that refer to 1 Kings and 2 Kings verifying the Bible, which archaeology does all the time. A lot of times secular people come at the Bible and say, this isn't true, that person didn't live, this city didn't exist. And archaeology, time after time, like in this situation, brings credibility to the scriptures that there really was a place of Moab and the inscriptions on this were real kings in Israel leading over the people. And this guy is celebrating this pagan country defeating uh, God's country and God's place when God was using that for judgment. This thing dates all the way back to 850 BC, an incredible discovery that brings credibility to the scriptures. So we see through archaeology, we see through history, more importantly, we see through scripture, God is working things out in his journey, in his timeline for us. He is working in our lives. He was doing that back in their time and he's doing that in our time today. So here's the big idea that we want you to walk away with today. Here it is. God is at work for his purposes in our obedience. As you're sitting there in your struggles and your trials and your ups and downs of life, Ruth's story tells us God's working in your life. He's at work for his purpose. Not always the purpose that we want, but his purpose and as we walk in obedience, as Naomi and Ruth and Boaz are in their story, God is weaving something beautiful together in their lives 
and in our lives. So let's jump in. We're going to break this chapter into three spots, and we'll pull something from each of those. Here we go, Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Again, they're all widows. Now Boaz, he's that kinsman redeemer, with whose women you have worked in a, is a relative of ours. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. What is going on in this interesting passage? A couple things. First, in this time when they were grieving, she's a widow. They would normally not wash themselves. They would normally wear something like sackcloth and ashes or some kind of black uh, garments. And they would communicate to everyone that they were grieving, that they were not available, that they were in this place kind of being isolated in a, in a place of mourning. And Naomi is saying to Ruth, that time is now over. I want you to clean yourself up, okay? We need something new in our lives. We've been grieving. We've struggled with bitterness. This is a bad season for us, but maybe God's going to do something new. And that would often be, you know, uh, demonstrated in the Bible with washing, cleaning, putting on perfume, putting on new clothes. You know how that can kind of make you have a different mindset of like, hey, maybe there's something good. Maybe there's something that can happen. And they come up with this strategy and this plan. Again, she has met Boaz when she was out gleaning in chapter two, when he's out doing the harvest, she meets him and they have this warm interaction. And now her mother-in-law is saying, man, maybe this guy will marry you. Maybe he will redeem this situation. And Boaz throughout this whole chapter is a picture of God's provision and God's redemption in our life and God's protection. And so she says, hey, go and do this odd thing. Go lay at his feet, which maybe that would keep him warm. At this time, that could be a sign of, of submission or support or help or encouragement. But don't do anything else. There's nothing manipulating happening here because these are godly people. She's not going to manipulate or seduce him in this situation. We said, just go, show yourself available, and let's take a step of faith here, and we will see what Boaz will do. Naomi's so loyal. She's so wonderful. She says to her mother-in-law, you know, I honor you. I, I listen to you. I appreciate your advice. Whatever you tell me to do in this situation, I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to go do that, and she does that. So here's our first point from that passage. Plan in faith and trust God with the results. That's one of the things I want us to take from that today is when we are in a difficult situation, we're, we're needing something. Maybe we're struggling with bitterness. Maybe we're disappointed by life. It's so easy to have all these different responses, right? I'm thinking about my own life when I'm disappointed or things don't go well. We could get bitter. We could just give up. We could become hard-hearted people. We could also go to this extreme where we get very heavenly-minded and we say, I'm only going to pray. 
I'm only going to pray and I'm just going to be paralyzed in fear and just trusting God only and pray. And I'm not going to actually do anything. I'm not going to ask God what action steps I should take. A lot of times I see that in the Christian faith. Our, our staff read a book recently called Do Something. And the point of that book was as Christians, we can't just wait around forever and do nothing. There are things in the Bible that God wants us to obey. And when we're in a difficult spot or we're in a trial, sometimes we need to just try to hear from God and do something. Take a risk. Don't be paralyzed in fear your whole life. These women didn't just pray. They came up with a strategy and a plan. So they planned in a godly way, but they had to leave it to God's results. You know, when we're in those situations too, I think the other extreme is that we abandon God. We try to take things under our own control. We become a control freak. We say, God's not coming through for me. Other people aren't going to help me. I will become a selfish person and only depend on myself. We are all tempted to live in that way. And what I'm trying to share with us today is this, this duality, this grabbing both things of being prayerful, listening to God, but then acting in faith. Do something. Take a risk and see what God will do. And that is what's happening in this situation. You know, when our future is unknown, we, we have this unknown path or this unknown future. You know, it kind of shows who we are. It kind of shows the deep character in our life. And I was trying to think of a situation when I was, you know, maybe uh, discouraged or, or worried about the future and, uh, and really just in a valley. And I was thinking about back when I was 30 years old, before I was married, and I was at a leadership training as we were just showing a video about a little plug for, for LT. It's a great thing, and I've gone to many of them. But I was at a leadership training with my girlfriend at the time. And during that LT, she broke up with me. It was a really, really difficult valley because I was, again, 30 years old. I had planned this romantic uh, night where we went out to dinner. Then we drove up into the Rocky Mountains. It was perfect in my eyes. I wrote her a song and played this song for her. Maybe the song was bad. I don't know. You know, it must have been. Because when we drove down that mountain and we parked in the parking lot there at Estes Park, she looked at me and said, I don't have peace about this. I was like, what are you saying? She said, we need to break up. And I was just a wreck. I was weeping. You know how the Bible says in hell there's weeping and gnashing of teeth? There was weeping and gnashing of teeth in that car. It's like, what is going on? Man, I was so filled with emotions, embarrassment. And I'm 30 years old. I'm so upset. I thought I heard from God. I was angry. I was confused. I was so discouraged. Man, when you get hit like that and your future is unknown, it can be so hard. That next day, I went on that front porch of the administration building where they have all these beautiful rocking chairs looking up at Eagle's Cliff. And I just cried. And I tried to pray. And I opened my Bible and I just started to read and I started to, to think, God, what are you doing in my life? It's at those times in life where we really are in a fragile spot. That fork is in the road. How are we going to respond? Are we going to lean into God in those moments? Or are we going to go our own way? 
That is what Naomi and Ruth were faced with. And they said, man, let's, let's take this step of faith and see what God does. Let's see what God does, starting back up in our second section, verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread your corner of your garment over me, since you are my guardian redeemer of our family. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you'd showed earlier. You have not run after younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do all that you ask. All the people of the town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am the guardian redeemer of our family, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to be, do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good. Let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. This is great news. Lie here until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He's trying to protect her dignity. He also said, bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Wow. This is great news. This is a great encounter of Boaz providing for her. All this planning and this strategizing, Naomi, again, like at the end of chapter 2, she's home probably praying, hoping, how is this going to work out? They've taken this chance. They've taken this risk. And Boaz is coming through. He's such a godly man. He talks about how godly of a woman she is. You know, the whole town knows what a great person you are. And he doesn't take advantage of this woman. He doesn't try to take, you know, any kind of like immoral move against this woman. Matter of fact, he goes so far, he says, you know, at this time, go out so nobody sees you because people might speculate that you're an evil woman, that you came here to seduce me. So he's trying to be godly. She's being godly and he's protecting her reputation. And as if that wasn't enough of the good news, just like at the end of chapter 2, with all the grain, he does the same thing again. They kind of parallel each other. He says, hold out your shawl. I know you and your mom, your mother-in-law are in a, in a difficult spot. I'm going to load you up with six measures of barley. This is way more than they needed. This blessing, this outpouring of provision. Here's the second point from that, is our obedience is not unnoticed to God and others. Boaz's obedience, Ruth's obedience, Naomi's obedience, it's not unnoticed by the people around us, but more importantly, it's not unnoticed by God. And again, I bring this up with you because I think that when the trials come and hit our lives, maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe there's some kind of difficulty or some temptation in your life. When that is squeezed in on us, what comes out is our true 
character. And this is so important to talk about in the Christian life is our public lives and our private lives. I'd like you to just ponder that for a moment. I'd like to give you this opportunity to let God speak to your heart. Does your public life match up with your private life? Because the things that we do in public and private, they will eventually be known by the people around us. Maybe not in the short term, but eventually they will. But more importantly than that is how it relates to your relationship with God. You see, it doesn't matter what I think of you. It doesn't matter what the people next to you think of you. What matters is what God thinks of you. And he demonstrated his love for you. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and I, he provided a way for you to be back with him because he's so crazy about you. He wants to be in this relationship with you and wipe out that sin and make you clean so that you can have this relationship with him. So we begin this relationship through the grace of Jesus Christ. But if we continue in a public way or a private way to walk away from God and we let sin crowd into our lives, it will mess up the intimacy of that relationship. And I know when I'm tempted, I know when I'm going through hard times, it's when you're alone, you're going to really find out who you are. Many people have quoted that, that character is what you do when no one is watching. And here's why that's so important. The most important thing about you is your intimacy with God. And those private sins will interrupt that. You won't hear from Him. You won't experience Him. You won't have the fruits of the Spirit and that love and that joy and that peace in your life. Because even though you're trying to put up a good front, you're lying in private. So we need to confess those things. We need to repent of those things. And I'll tell you, I, I've seen this throughout college ministry for decades. As we come up on these holidays with Thanksgiving and Christmas and you go home and maybe there's old temptations there and old habits. Maybe there's trials from your own family. There's disunity in your family and conflict and you kind of get out of your normal rhythms of your spiritual disciplines and you're just kind of scattered from your Christian friends. Many people come back in January like, man, I'm in a spiritually bad place. I, I fell into sin. I haven't touched my Bible in weeks, and it's discouraging. And that joy is gone. And all kinds of lies are in your mind, and you can feel very distant from God. And all of that just tells us this is real. This walk with God is so real. So we need to be honest with Him. We say, God, get me in the Word. Let me be devoted to your scriptures. Let me have habits of prayer. I want to be close with you no matter what's going on, no matter where I am. I want you to be in my life so that I can experience you disconnected from the circumstances around me. Man, that's the joy of life. That's the beauty of a relationship with God. He's always there loving you, wanting you. Open arms wherever you go. He wants this relationship with you. Let's let our private lives and our public lives be the same in a strong pursuit of God. Boaz shows us the character of God. That's what this picture is. He wants to bless you. So here's Ruth going home again, right? 
back to Naomi. Naomi's waiting to hear what happened. You know, and it's like, they're going to be okay. And they've got all this food. There's blessing when we walk with God, not in a prosperity gospel type of way, but in a deep, lasting provision of joy in our hearts, which leads us to our third point. Let's read the last few verses here in verse 16. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, how did it go, my daughter? She's probably so anxious to hear. Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, he gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. A couple things from this. She says, this guy is so awesome, Boaz. He didn't just take you as your wife. He said, hey, there's another kinsman redeemer here that's a closer relative, and I want to honor that guy. I mean, this is an awesome dude. What a selfless man. And he says to her, I think I should give this other man a chance. And this other man, you're going to find out next week what happens with him. And Boaz is going to bring him in as her as his wife. And she says, let's just rest in the Lord. Can you bring attention to that? Can you bring that verse back up? For the man will not rest until the matter is settled. And she says to her, wait. Sometimes we need to wait on God and rest, trusting in the results. This Boaz, he's a good guy. We're going to trust him. He's going to work this out as soon as as possible. It's so beautiful. This other point here that when she says, I want to just tell you everything that Boaz has done. When it says, then she told her everything Boaz had done for her, it reminded me of these New Testament verses. Can you bring some of those to mind when Jesus did something amazing for the blind man or the mute person or the lame or he does some amazing miracle to prove who he is or these amazing words and the people went back to their city and they said, we want to tell you everything that Jesus has done for us. That's all through the New Testament. I love this kind of this illusion to that. She was so excited to tell Naomi, all that Boaz had done. You and I get to go into the world every day. We have this opportunity to tell people everything that Jesus has done for us. We get to be overwhelmed with thanksgiving, with this you know, report of what he's doing in his provision, which leads us to our third point. God provides for our most important needs. He wants to provide for your physical needs. He wants to give you the things that you need spiritually, relationally, emotionally, physically. But of course, the most important need that he provided for every one of us, we all have something in common. We had one great need to be forgiven so that we could be sure when we die, we are going to be with him in eternity in heaven. And he took care of that need himself through the person of Jesus Christ. Wow, that's incredible. That's all you and I need. The assurance of forgiveness, not through ourselves, but through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. God wants to provide for you. If he gave us his son, 
Surely he will give us everything else that we need. You know, back to that front porch in Colorado after I'd been broken up with, and I was just on that porch praying in tears. I opened my Bible, and I started to read, and I felt God speaking to me. Day after day, I sat on that porch asking God to speak to me. And he said, I want you to write down everything you're thankful for. It's like, God, everything I'm thankful for, I'm, I'm, I'm a mess here. I need you to do something. No, I want you to write down everything that you're thankful for. And I began to do that. I, I began to write those things down. And something amazing happened. I started just being moved by the provision of God. And even though this relationship wasn't going the way I wanted, I just started thinking about his goodness and my salvation and all the things that he'd done in my life and the changes in my life and how he had provided. And this list just kept going on and on and on. And my heart began to change. And something incredible happened. And I believe this was only a work from God. Is if you are just so connected to him, and you're in his word, and you're filled with the thankfulness that comes from God. I got to a place where as best I could, in all the faith that I could muster up, I thought, if Mary Lynn gets back with me, or Mary Lynn breaks up with me, I'm going to be okay. And man, those were the precious words of a relationship with God. Man, I hope every one of you experience something like that. God, no matter what happens, I trust you. It's going to be okay. And it happened to be that Mary Lynn, my, my girlfriend, came back to me later and said, I have peace now. And I said, well, we'll see about that. No, I didn't say that. I was so excited and so thankful. Let me ask you this question this morning. Do you have a heart of thanksgiving for God's provision? Do you this morning have a heart of thankfulness for God's provision? We can't live an entitled life. We can't live a discontent life. We can't live a life of just bitterness. We have to come before him with thanksgiving. We have to trust in his provision. As I close, I want to read you a verse from or a quote from Ravi Zacharias, one of my favorite uh, Christian leaders and theologians. He says, there's no greater discovery than seeing God as the author of your destiny. Would you see this morning, there's no greater discovery than just knowing God is authoring your story. He was weaving this together for Naomi and Ruth and Boaz to do something great that led to salvation. They would have had no idea the bigger story of what was going on with the two of them coming together and their ancestry and God's provision. And you know what? Most of the time, you and I, we have no idea of what we're going through today, how it weaves into the bigger story of God. But we can trust him today. We can say, God, I trust you as the author of my story. I am going to seek you. I am going to love you. I am going to just well up with thankfulness for all that you're doing, and that will build my faith for the future of what you're doing. He's got it. 
it's going to be okay. If you submit to the wings of his protection, he's going to lead you to good places. When we go out on our own, there's no promises. There's no assurance of what is going to happen. So let's trust him. Let's trust him and worship him and well up with thanksgiving. And even over these next couple weeks, give special attention to your time of thankfulness and prayer and time in the word. Let's do that as a church. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you so much for this picture that we have of, of Boaz's character and provision and kindness to these people in need. Lord, thank you that it points us to the story, the greatest story that's ever told. Lord, you have provided for us. You love us. You shower us with your kindness every day. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Lord, as we're going through our hard things today, Lord, we, we submit those things to you, God. We, we even come before you and confess that when we're pressed in and things are difficult and we're just wondering how things are going to go, Lord, we repent of the times that we run away from you. We repent of the times that we want to be self-sustaining and not look to you to help us. Lord, we offer those things to you today and we trust you. Lord, thanks for writing our story. Lord, we don't need to know exactly how each page goes in the future, but Lord, we know it's a good ending because we are with you. We place our faith in you. Thank you so much for being our Redeemer. We love you and we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.